0: Welcome to Expert Insights. This session was recorded in front of a live webinar audience on the 23rd of November, 2022. The topic is burnout prevention and interventions for health professionals. On the panel, we have Jody Wasner, developmental psychologist at Curious Kids. Matthew Coleshill, postdoctoral fellow at Black Dog Institute. And chairing the session, we have Dr. Sarah Barker.
1: A warm welcome to everybody to Burnout Prevention and Intervention for Health Professionals as part of the Expert Insight Series. So to begin with, I'd like to acknowledge country. So Black Dog Institute would like to acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as Australia's first people and traditional custodians. I'm in Nam or Melbourne, and I would like to pay my deep respects to the Wurundjeri people. And I extend that respect to the traditional owners of all the lands from where we're gathering this evening and any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people we have with us tonight. And we value their cultures, identities and continuing connection to country, waters, kin and community. We pay our respects to elders past and present and are committed to making a positive contribution to the mental health and wellbeing of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across Australia. I'll introduce our panellists for this evening. So I'm Sarah Barker, a warm welcome to you. I have with us Jodie Wozner and also Matthew Coleshill. So Jody, um, is a has been a supervisor of health professionals for many, many years, uh, for about 15 years, as well as a developmental psychologist and acceptance and commitment therapist with Curious Kids. And Jody's also a long-time associate at the Black Dog Institute. So thank you very much for joining us this evening, Jodie. And we also have with us Matthew Coleshill. Um, Matthew is a postdoctoral fellow and our lead researcher on burnout in healthcare workers at Black Dog Institute. And Matthew's been involved in the creation of, dare I say, a wonderful resource. Um, It's a free resource on burnout called The Essential Network uh, for Health Professionals. So welcome, uh, Matthew, as well, and thank you for joining us tonight. Let's begin then. So I wondered... Matthew, if you could start by telling us what burnout is and how it differs from depression.
0: Yeah, so... Burnout is characterized by uh, three different things, a state of exhaustion, which can be physical, emotional, or cognitive, uh, sort of detachment and withdrawal from work, as well as a negative uh, view of someone's own professional contribution. Um, the key aspect of burnout is generally considered to be the state of exhaustion and its association with occupational stress. Um yeah, I think that's pretty much the nice little yeah. overview there. Yeah, great,
1: great. Okay, terrific. And if if we think about how people, um, yes, yeah, so how people respond to that diagnosis. What are your thoughts on that? If how people respond to a diagnosis of say depression versus burnout. Uh,
0: so in in terms of the differences between um, depression and burnout, which I probably should have mentioned there as well. Sorry, I missed that little bit at the end. Yeah, that's um, okay. So burnout does have a pretty considerable overlap with depression, um, particularly in terms of the detachment and lowered sense of accomplishment. So they can present pretty similarly. And this is a bit of a point of contention and ongoing discussion sort of around burnout as to whether it's kind of its own syndrome or condition, or if it's really a kind of just a sort of subsection of depression, which is something that I'll be really interested to hear what Jody thinks about that shortly. Um, in terms of the, how people respond to the different diagnoses, again, I think Jodie will have some interesting input here, but one thing we noticed when we were talking to people through the Ascension Network or TEN or sort of trying to promote TEN was that healthcare workers really responded to burnout as kind of a means of seeing if people wanted to access a mental health support service compared to depressions. So there seems to be a degree of you know ongoing stigma in relation to depression or that burnout sort of resonates with uh, health professionals more than depression.
1: Thanks, Matthew. Jodie, I'm really interested in what your thoughts are about people's different perceptions of that um, diagnosis. What have you seen in people's responses to that?
2: Look, personally, I don't have, have a firm opinion either way. I think I've had a little bit of a look at Matthew's research, and I know that you know, you're know you probably going to speak more to this later. I know one of the things that you found is that when you looked at some of the treatment aspects, um, that there were some improvements in things like anxiety and depression, but not on the actual burnout. And I think, you know, as people that perhaps use diagnostic labels, um, I suppose the purpose of a diagnostic label would be so we can really target the treatment. So having that mismatch, I suppose, makes it a little bit confusing. Um, I think in terms of practitioners' willingness to, to take on and accept a diagnosis of burnout, um you know, we all have cognitions about how we're supposed to be, you know, invulnerable to, you know, we're not supposed to have these big emotions and we're supposed to be stoic and be able to keep going. Um, And sometimes admitting anxiety and depression can be harder, whereas admitting something like burnout, if that helps you to access the help that you need, I think that can only be something positive. Great, Jodie. Thank you.
1: So Matthew, what have been the findings in your research on burnout in healthcare workers in in terms of prevalence?
0: Um, So as part of 10, which I'll talk about a little bit later, but there's a sort of a a digital assessment people can complete as part of the, the digital service. So we had about 800 or so people between the launch in May 2020 and the end of 2021. So there's another year of data that I haven't, haven't got to uh, analyzing quite yet. So about 800 people completed the the burnout measure and we found that. About 90% of those are experiencing disengagement from work due to burnout. So they're in the clinical range on that part of the scale. And about 50% have um, clinically significant significant exhaustion from burnout. So pretty, pretty high numbers, unfortunately, um, which I don't think is is too surprising to anybody. Um, this is a fairly biased sample in some ways. So people were self-selecting, as it were, because they were approaching a mental health service. So they, they'd they already acknowledged that they probably needed some kind of support. And then within this assessment, they were then choosing to complete a measure on burnout. So they probably also thought they might have some concerns around experiencing that. Um, but even so, compared to some other Australian studies that have happened over the last couple of years, the numbers are, are relatively similar. Um I suppose just in addition to burnout as well, we had some pretty high numbers across the board for impaired social and work functioning was about 75% um, in the in the clinical range. Um, about 50% or more of people were moderate um, or moderately severe anxiety. Um, and about 66% or more um, were sort of moderate or above on depression. So yeah, um, all in all... Um, It's a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty bad state of affairs.
1: It certainly is. It certainly is. Yeah, they're really kind, concerning um, figures. Yeah, thanks for sharing us with that, Matthew. Can you tell us a little bit about about what burnouts look like for the various professions across the different disciplines too?
0: Yeah, yeah. So for a lot of our analyses, we, we group people together a little bit just to sort of maintain that that robust sample size. So for, for the main analyses, we were looking at doctors as one group, nurses and midwives as another, and then allied health. So psychologists and, you know, social workers and everybody as, as a third group just to kind of get those numbers up. Um, All in all, it it was pretty similar across the board. Um, All of the groups were above 90% for that disengagement and around the same at about 50% for um, the exhaustion subscale. Um, We did find one finding where allied health were, and this was statistically significant, were um, higher on the disengagement subscale than nurses. But the object of this research wasn't to sort of split hair, you know, kind of go about who's having a worse time. And to put this in perspective, this was that uh, I think about 95% of allied health were in the clinical range for the disengagement and it was about 90% for nurses. So you're really kind of splitting hairs about who's having a worse time. It's all of the numbers were pretty bad. Um, drilling down a little bit more, I did kind of for this, uh, have a look at some of those specific groups. So psychologists and occupational therapists, all within that same range. So it seems to be about 90 to 95% disengagement, 50 odd percent for the exhaustion. So yeah, not too, too much in the way of um, differences between groups. And everyone seems to be struggling with burnout currently as a health professional.
1: Yeah. And what about the findings in terms of what contributes to burnout across the different disciplines?
0: Yeah, so this is something we haven't really um, looked at within our our data yet, but more widely within the burnout literature. Prolonged workplace stress caused by sort of long hours, inadequate staffing, workload, lack of job control, which is quite common in health professionals as well. Um, Potentially poor leadership, though I don't want to make too many comments there. Um, Those tend to be the sort of the core factors that contribute to burnout. Um, But burnout originally was very much focused on health professionals. I think in the last years it's kind of expanded outwards into the corporate world and things like that. From um, you can see how a lot of these factors might be common there as well, but. really burnout originally had this, this sort of emotional component to it in terms of the exhaustion. and You can see how healthcare kind of prompts a lot of these unique emotional distresses relative to, to other sectors. So, you know, the higher emotional burden, you're caring for unwell patients who are physically and mentally unwell or, or, or either the potential for violence in the workplace because of this and also just being exposed to traumatic events as, as part of your, your job. These are all kind of you know, a strong emotional burden um, that can Mm -hmm. contribute to burnout.
1: Mm. And distressing stories too that health professionals are hearing. Yeah, thank you, Matthew. Jodie, about half of your work has been purely dedicated to supervision of various health professionals over the last 15 years. Um, what, What kinds of health professionals have you been providing that supervision to?
2: Yeah, I'll just clarify. I used to work predominantly as a practitioner, and then I slowly started to do a little bit of supervision. Um, and that demand has increased very, very significantly. And I think for me, I've made a decision, I'm, I'm probably 50 50 now. And I've made a decision that I'd like to be prioritising supervision at the moment because, as Matthew quite rightly said, one of the issues of burnout is this concept of demand versus resources and everyone is short-staffed and under-resourced. And, um, you know, I myself was feeling it great. You know, you cannot get to the number of people who are demanding your help. So to me, I feel like doing supervision almost gives me the ability to sort of you know filter out and help more people at once if that makes sense um but back to your question so i um i work predominantly with young people and their families so i supervise mostly psychologists working with young people. Um, but I also see a number of other types of professionals. I um, supervise a few uh, developmental pediatricians who um, are really keen to learn more about the sort of work that we do so they can help their families in a you know in a more in-depth way, um, but also other Allied health so speeches, OTs, etc. Terrific. Yeah. So you'd have a
1: really quite a broad vision on the experience of um, supervising. Yeah. Yeah. And I also
2: supervise from, you know, the sort of the four plus twos, the the uni interns, students, masters, right up through to, you know, very highly experienced practitioners. So I feel Mm. like I really see it across the board. Mm, mm. And I like your point. It sounds like um, providing
1: supervision has been meaningful to you for the reach you can provide to and support the um, the various professions at this time too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific.
1: Thanks, Jodie. So what have you noticed contributes to burnout in health professionals?
2: Look, as I said before, I really think demand has just skyrocketed. Um, you know, I think, you know, there used to be a thing that, you know, the, the busy, um, psychologists, they were the good ones and the ones that didn't have wait lists. Those were the ones who weren't very good, but I think you'll find that everybody has wait lists. Um, I, I, you know, pretty much everyone I know has had to close their books. And I think this makes for an interesting quandary because I mean, there's a couple of things. First of all, um, we're getting, Understandably, very, very desperate uh, families who are needing mental health support, and they're just being turned back everywhere. And I know for me, at least once a week, I will receive a truly upsetting, desperate email from a family that I don't know, begging for help. Um, and my my philosophy that I always tell to my supervisees is, when we accept a patient into our care, we have to give them our full care. So we have to be really careful about, oh, I had a cancellation on Friday, I'll pop this person in. Because you, if you can't service them ongoing, then, you know, that's very disruptive to their care. So what I used to do is I used to refer them out. Whereas now, not just me, everyone I know, it sort of feels like, well, I'll give them names of other psychologists. But in my heart, I know they're probably busy too. So, you know, you know, a lot of us are sort of bleeding hearts and we genuinely want to help people. And I think the ability to put in our boundaries and to say to desperate families, no, I can't see you, knowing that where we're referring them out might not be able to help either. That is, that takes an emotional toll. Um, I know, Matthew, in your work, you know, you you talk a lot about the importance of boundaries and my goodness, I speak about boundaries every day. Um, But boundaries are exhausting, you know, to to put them in place, it is exhausting. If the person on the other end pushes back, they're even more exhausting because you need to reassert yourself. So I think what, you know, I, I can't remember what your question was, but I think the point is demand has increased very significantly. I think every health professional I know is feeling very, very overworked. Um, with no lovely influx of psychologists coming in to relieve that, that yeah. they're just not there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks, thanks, Tony. And what's the role of workplace practices in burnout? What have you noticed there for, for people?
2: Yeah, so that's that's an interesting one too. So I, I might speak specifically to small clinics or private practices because that's probably where I've noticed the biggest shift. So um i I work with a lot of people who are practice managers and have a, a lovely lot of psychologists working under them. And I also supervise a lot of these younger psychologists who are who are becoming contractors or employees. And I feel as though there's a lot of workplace dissatisfaction at both ends.
1: Ah, interesting.
2: Previously, when people used to come to me for supervision, we would spend at least 90% of our chat time, they'd bring me a case, we'd chat about intervention ideas, and they'd go away and implement those. I'm finding that we're now spending at least 50% of our supervision time chatting about workplace issues. Wow. So, for example, for the younger people, they might be feeling as though they're being underpaid or or overworked. If they're in a salaried position, they have to see seven clients. And if someone cancels, they have to fill it. Um, But then at the other end, I think what a lot of practice managers are struggling with is um, because wait lists are so very long, they're trying to bring in more contractors, more employees to fulfill that need. Um, And they spend a lot of time, money and energy training them up. Um, you know, getting them to a place where, you know, they're, they're good for the clinic. Um, and then th- th- then these employees or contractors might think, hey, I could open my own shop. <laughs> There's so much demand. So I think what a lot of practice managers are finding really hard is that they're getting a lot of turnover. And so that's really hard on them. It's hard on their reputation as a business. But also, you know, if you're a practice manager and two people have walked last week, you're obligated to service their, you know, 40 patients and you've got nowhere to put them. So I think that I think the increase in demand has very much shifted how workplaces run, and how everyone in those practices are being able to communicate with each other and, and and feel safe, and you know happy in the workplace. Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a big ripple effect. Yeah, in various parts of workplaces.
1: Yeah, it's a yeah. lot of stress. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. Is. Okay. Um, Yeah, you've talked a little bit to this, but any other differences you've noticed in burnout pre-pandemic to now? Any kind of things you've noticed that have been kind of significant shifts, perhaps?
2: Look, I think, um, you know, it is just the the sheer demand would have to be the big one. Look, a few little things like, as I mentioned, I, um, you know, I work predominantly with young people. And school disengagement has become um, a very big thing. We're seeing a lot more school refusal. Um, and those sorts of families need a, a lot of extra support. So I think that, you know, there were some kids who really thrived in the, whole, the homeschooling situation and some who fell apart. And I think for both of those types of kids at both extreme ends, the return to school um, has not been a smooth ride. And I think a lot of young people have missed some really essential developmental stages. You know, it was funny, you know, you'd speak to anyone at any age, you know, the, the poor five-year-olds, it's the worst for them. The poor 12-year-olds, It's the, you know, it was the worst for everyone. So, you know, I think a lot of young people have missed out on some key developmental stages.
1: Mm, mm, mm. so so, in terms of the burnout, sh- any shifts, do you think there's been a rise then with the pandemic in in this? yeah,
2: and I think practitioners, we've had to learn new stuff, right? we I didn't learn about pandemics at uni, and so you know we and we're going through it too. You know, we've got our own families, and you know we're trying to juggle and we're trying to work out how to work, you know, before the um participants were, we're talking about zoom disasters, and yes. you know there's a lot to juggle.
1: There is, there is, yeah. So your um, we know there's no easy or quick fix for burnout, and Matthew's research really points to that. What have you found has been helpful to health professionals to manage burnout, Jodie?
2: Look, the big one is boundaries. Um, and look, you know, for people, I suppose I've developed this little sentence <laughs> that I use with families and that I tell to my supervisees. Um Because when desperate people come to you and it's through no fault of their own, they can only think of their own distress. So what I often like to say is, you know, in order for me to be effective, you know, these are the processes I need to have in place. I understand they're not suitable for everyone, um, but this is what I'm able to offer you at the moment. So I think just using that language around I need to be effective for lots of people. Yes, yes. I think the other thing that's really important is thinking about. one of the things we talk about in supervision is my personal sense of identity. So, and I know I'm guilty of this myself. um, I'm really proud of the work I've done as a psychologist in my profession. And when I meet new people or I'm out and about, I feel like it's a really important part of who I am. But if you're the kind of person for whom that's your big thing and, and possibly your only thing, then I think that the impacts of, of burnout would be so much more significant. So we need to talk about making sure that you build up, you know, sort of the other wonderful things in your life. Um, you know, hobbies or, you know, we we know this stuff, right? We call it activity scheduling with depressed people. Sure. But we need to, we need to find our zhuzh and we need to find the things that that make us happy outside the workplace. Um you know and you know it's about taking time out so, you, you know sometimes if we're so focused on the burnout we're sort of spending all our time digging out of the problem like i'll just ring this last patient or i'll just write up these notes and we're spending all this time burrowing in the burnout problem thinking that it if i can just do this it'll be better tomorrow but of course it continues so sometimes it's about being able to you know take time in real other life yes rather than just Digging away, it must stop. Oh. The, it must stop the admin flow. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. and nurturing other parts of identity that are not professional. Exactly. Yeah, great points, Jodie. Thank you. So, Matthew, tell us about ten, and walk us through how we can engage in it and what it involves, and offers us too.
0: Yeah, no, happy to have a chat about ten. Um, so ten was um funded by the federal government as part of their covid-19 strategy um essentially it's it's blended care so it's a combination of person to person which can be telehealth you know in person consultations with digital resources so primarily ten is, is a website just if you search the essential network um, should be the first hit on the black dog website um the website contains the the digital assessments I mentioned before. So, you know, a way to just check if uh, if you have any issues and sort of, you know, go through these validated scales to to get some feedback there. Um, and there's these a whole, are all
1: anonymous aren't they? Yeah, Matthew? they're all anonymous. Yeah, that's um so no
0: account needed to register or anything like that. You can just go straight on the website. Um with the surveys, there is some information we collect. So I, I mentioned before we had some information about professions that we could break down, but all of that is optional. So you can just go on to it and just do the just do the um the instruments or the sorry, the questionnaires and, and leave them afterwards if you don't want to add any other information. Um there's a load of other resources on there. So self-guided things, so navigating burnout is the big one that I'll probably mention a little bit later, but um, yeah, yeah, just a lot of self-help resources linked to partners, so Hand in Hand as a peer support service, um, This Way Up, Um, just a lot of online resources that people can work through um, in their own time, essentially. And then there's also some details to go through that website to have up to five free consultations with a psychiatrist or clinical psychologist um, through the Black Dogs Clinical Service. And all of that's not attached to Medicare. So yeah, just five free consultations that people can go along to as a health professional.
1: Brilliant. What a great offering. So needed and so important Um, Yeah, at this time. Great. Thank you. Um, And healthcare workers can be concerned about accessing uh, support due to fears of mandatory reporting and and things like that. What have been some of the considerations in creating TEN and making it really acceptable to healthcare workers?
0: Yeah, the um the concerns around manager reporting were were central to the development of ten and sort of liaising with the different stakeholders, so the RACGP and other professional organisations and APS and the such. Um, so we do have a bit of a a resource on on ten itself, just kind of going through manager reporting to sort of alleviate some of those concerns, which sure. has been one of the more access pages. Oh, um,
1: interesting. In oh. addition to that,
0: it's sort of you know. Factors like you don't need to have an account in order to go onto the website, you can just kind of go on yourself. It's completely anonymous, which poses me very interesting problems as a researcher when I I then want to look at this type of data, but it's, it's, you know, you don't know. (laughs) It's not really very standardized and you can't say who is who in this type of thing or if it's the same person coming back, which we've had some creative ways with web analytics to get around that. Um, In addition to that, though, the fact that the consultations aren't attached to Medicare, so... Outside of the Black Dog Clinical Service, none of this goes on record anywhere else. So it's just trying to give that sense of confidentiality and just that 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 trust that this is this is just between you and and the clinician who's going to be providing you care.
1: Okay. And what about the response of healthcare workers to the benefits of ten? What have you? What has been the response?
0: Yeah, it's been really positive. So we ran an observational study where we recruited about 150 healthcare or health professionals to use um use HEN for about six months. And there was you know, part of it was just looking at what people enjoyed on the service and also, as I'll talk about in a minute. Um, some of the sort of the the mental health benefits they had from engaging with the service in this way, um, but yeah, service acceptability was really high. People said that they they liked the service, that it met their mental health needs, that they would recommend it to their colleagues. Um, so overall, yeah, it's it's been very positive. Healthcare health professionals seem to be um, yeah, they seem to like the service.
1: Great. Oh, that's that's terrific feedback. Okay, good. Um, and the effectiveness of ten. Talk to us about that.
0: <laughs> um, So over that six-month study, we did see small but significant improvements in anxiety, depression, um, work and social functioning, as well as um, general mental health. So it's hard to sort of separate this out from um, just kind of spontaneous remission because it it was just a single-arm study where we didn't have kind of a a no-treatment control or anything like that. But it seems to be fairly positive. also to to speak to those improvements uh we saw no no improvement in burnout um over those 6 months so that might indicate that that maybe the the other things were genuine improvements from using the service but um Certainly, the lack of improvement from burnout was a big concern for us. In conjunction with those earlier findings, that the the scale of burnout was was really quite substantial in the people who were who are coming to the service. So, yeah, that led to us developing navigating burnout as a as a better way to to help people experiencing it.
1: Yeah, and tell me about the change in navigating burnout. What did that involve? So it was a single page originally on burnout. Is that right? Yeah. yeah
0: so. I mean, everything, I, I came on board a little bit after 10 had launched, um, mostly to sort of provide the evaluation and these later developments like navigating burnout. So, if I understand, it was a little bit of a, a frantic kind of dash to get everything set up initially um, as we were in the middle of the pandemic. Um, so, 10 was trying to be everything to everyone. So, it was covering all of these different sort of, you know, anxiety, depression Um and burnout just kind of i think there was a page overview type thing it just wasn't going into that much detail with it um so yeah when we saw the fact that uh there was no improvement from engaging the ser- with the service we sort of put a put some more time and effort into developing this self-guided cbt course um yeah which we think is quite good we haven't run any evaluations on it yet but we're pretty proud of it and it, yeah looking forward to seeing what people think
1: yeah, hopefully it makes a difference. Certainly the modules look excellent. I've had a look at them. They look, yeah, they look, they look terrific. Yeah. Um Okay, yeah. And what's been the uptake like in general and across various professions for Tim?
0: Yeah, so. It's It's been quite interesting because there's a few, few differences here and there. So in terms of the people completing those digital assessments, it, it's predominantly nurses. So I think about a third of the people completing those assessments who then go on to report their profession. Um, there could be some more people who don't report their profession due to concerns and differences in concerns around managed reporting between different health professionals, which has been um, something else we've noticed as well. Um, but yeah, mostly nurses for the digital assessments. Uh, I think about a third, as I said, about 30% allied health or so, and then about 20% doctors. Um, for the Interesting for the clinical service, so the people going through 10 to then have those five free consultations, doctors actually jump up quite a lot where I think doctors then become about a close to a third and it's only 20% nurses. So it's interesting to see there's this bit of a, a shift where doctors seem more likely to go through to the clinical service um, and then other groups are less likely.
1: Mm-mm. And I guess the confidentiality of that service, um, yeah, the no Medicare reporting, that really is very reassuring for a lot of people. Yeah, great, great. That's great there's that there's been that access. Um, yeah, any challenges in getting healthcare workers to access it,
0: Matthew? <laughs> it's just been getting it out there. Um, yeah, Black Dog's marketing and communications team, they've done a fantastic job sort of pushing 10. um, But it it can just be so hard to sort of promote awareness. Um, Peer endorsement is always the one you really want. So people finding the service themselves or hearing about it and then sharing it with their colleagues. Um, But certainly through... Through the observational study and the comments people have left and the feedback, you have some interesting things where if somebody might say, oh, this is really great. I haven't heard about this before. Um, you should go to the professional bodies and get this out there and then you look up their profession and go, actually, you know – the APS was a stakeholder, was promoting it, but it's just it's, and I'm sure everyone here can has experienced that just the email fatigue and just that constant spam of things. And if you know you have your routine, professional bodies coming through and it's buried at the bottom of an email, it's it's so easy to miss this type of stuff. So yeah, the biggest challenge has just been getting getting ten out there really.
1: Sure, sure, yeah, well, hopefully, yeah, tonight we have lots of people, yeah, uh, having a look at it and and um, yeah, telling others about it too. good. um yeah, the app usage was really low when you had the the ten on the app and then you had a much bigger response on the website. What do you think that was about?
0: yeah, it was it was interesting. So initially, um we, in addition to the sort of the the five free consultations, 10 was a website as well as an app. So the website was all anonymous in exactly the same state it was now. And then we, we had this app as well, which functionally were identical. They had all the same things on them, but people did have to make an account to use the app just because of the quirks of how it worked. Um, but what we were seeing is it was just much lower usage. Um, and I think initially we thought it would be the other way around, where the website was just kind of this second thought and the app was the main focus. Um, yeah, it was interesting to see that people didn't really use it that much um potentially that registration and the concerns around um anonymity and mandatory reporting might have been a little bit of a barrier um my personal hunch is probably just people being a bit sick of having dozens of different apps for things on their phone um and particularly when they realized there's a website there which has all of the same things on um yeah people just d- decided not to download it but then interesting enough as i mentioned with people in the studies uh, some of the main feedback we got was people wanted an app. <laughs> you're stuck in this unfortunate <laughs> middle ground of
1: <laughs> yeah. you can't be right
0: where yeah, <laughs> you ask people and they say yeah. they want an app and then they don't use the app.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. And there probably has been some app fatigue. I think probably particularly during the years of the pandemic too, there's often been an app for many things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good. What about your most, I'm always curious with research, the most surprising research finding you've had, Matthew, throughout this research on the Essential Network?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I suppose there's a couple. Um, Initially, in light of the talk we've had about manager reporting and how when Ten was being designed, this was very much in mind. So the consultations being separate from Medicare. Um, we did ask a few questions in that observational study about um, the consultations and if people would be happy for there to be you know, a fee to use this service, um, or if they would be happy with it being on Medicare. Um, and about 90% of people in that study said they'd be happy if it was on Medicare. So this was completely contradictory to what we'd seen before. Um potentially um, the study did have a very large cohort of nurses. I think it was about 80-85% of the the sample was um, nurses who were in that study. So we did see that there's some differences between groups with mandatory reporting and the, the concerns around that where doctors were generally the people who were the most concerned and nurses now at health were less worried about it. So maybe that was a bit of a a reason for that that finding um also the study was quite naturalistic so maybe a lot of these people weren't considering using that service so they they didn't really think it would be too much of a they, they weren't too worried about it um but yeah so that that was an odd finding or something we found surprising and then with the um the the online assessments as well Um, There was a little question in there just about whether or not COVID-19 had impacted their mental health. And despite these really, really concerning and severe um, mental health measures we were seeing... um, I think it was pretty much straight down the middle, um, indifferent, neither agree nor disagree as to whether or not COVID impacted these pe- like the, the people completing the assessments, mental health, which, yeah, was a little bit contradictory to some of the findings you see in the literature. Um, and then also just the fact that burnout and other, and other measures were so high, but yeah, people didn't seem to think that COVID had been a contributing factor.
1: Wow. How interesting. How interesting. Jodie, what do you make of that? <laughs> that
2: surprises me. <laughs> yeah. No, same. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I just feel like um, you know, I think one of the things that's really changed since COVID is how much we um work online off Zoom. Um, I think we know social connection is so important. And far fewer people, not just health practitioners, everyone, you know, offices in the city are, are empty. So, you know, I feel like there's that. Um, so, yeah, and I and I also think that, you know, Sarah, you, you and I talked about this the other day, the idea that when we're working from home, it can, you know, kind of be a little bit nice in your slippers and no commute, et cetera. Um, but there are those sort of subtle social emotional factors <laughs> that, that we don't consider, which is, you know, the little things we know, like going outside and chatting to people and buying a coffee, you know, whatever it is, um, but also how you spend your breaks. So are you having a true lunch break or are you putting on a load of washing and, you know, getting, getting other stuff done? So, I mean, yeah, I believe your results, Matthew, but I'm, I'm just surprised. I, I would and have them. thought things had shifted.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Very, very, very interesting to me too. Um, yeah. Okay. So if, so I guess just talking to that, to what extent do you think telehealth and being able to provide health professionals, being able to provide telehealth has negatively or positively affected burnout, Jodi?
2: Yeah, look, I think it's hard to say, you know, I I get really mixed responses to the people I chat to. Um, Some love it and, you know, some have completely closed clinics and just said, you know, it works for me, the patients are happy, I'm going to stick with it. Um, Others find it really troubling and, and find it difficult to make that connection. I think it also depends the type of population that you're working with. Um, you know, we were in the early days of COVID. We were seeing, um, you know, studies come out about Zoom fatigue and and things like that. And I think there is something very different about, you know, I know I sit in this one spot that you can see me in a lot yeah. of hours, of yeah, a lot of days. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I suppose it's really about making sure that you're putting in some some really good strategies. So making sure that you do go for a walk in your lunch break. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think there is a danger in just being home too much. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on the Essential Network for Health Professionals, Jodie? Well, I like it so far and I after tonight I definitely want to look more into it. I think the fact that it's completely confidential is so important because people do worry about things like mandatory notifications and, you know, things like that. Um you know i think the other thing is culturally we have a lot of narratives around how we're supposed to be um so you know i must be competent all the time um i must sacrifice myself for my patients you know i think we have so many of those unhelpful cognitions that no doubt are moving towards burnout um and i'm i'm Matthew, you can tell me, but I'm quite sure you would be addressing a lot of those cognitions in the program that we have. Um, I, I think, you know, being a health, any any sort of health professional, um, everyone goes into it because we want to help people. Um, and it's, you know, that's it's part of our essence. It's part of our values. And I think it can be so disheartening when our ability to do that gets taken away. Um, and Matthew mentioned, you know, the very first question you asked him, you know, what is what is burnout about? And um, you know, one of the key factors is actually disengagement from from the work that you previously found meaningful. You I mean, you know, I'm an act therapist and I love metaphors, and I'm not I'm not going to do this justice, but it's something Muhammad Ali said. Oh, great. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the exact quote. That's a okay. good yeah. something about. You're sort of moving towards this mountain, right? Uh-huh. And the mountain, you know, is is meaningful, but you you keep kind of getting distracted by the little pebble in your shoe. Mm. And I think as a health practitioner, we need to think as the mount of the mountain as our patients. Like this yeah. is why we do what we do. I'm not even talking about my self-care. I'm talking about we do it because we we care for the patients we want to make a difference. And I think the pebble in the shoe can often be things like the case notes or you know the gp letters or the traffic you know getting into work all those all those little things um that can really make us lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing um you know i, I think admin is a really big issue you know yes. when i when i talk about burnout with people so much of it is is the admin and you know the example i was giving about when young people move into private practices and they think, wow, this is heaps of money, this looks so good, what they often don't realise is that the pay they might be getting would be per hour of face-to-face contact, right? But you know what it's like. I mean, you can spend you know, almost double that time doing reports and letters, et cetera, and suddenly it's like, oh, why am I, why am I not getting paid for that? Um, and so it's often a very, very big fright. The you know, the the admin is massive. And I, you know, in my experience, it's the admin side, not the patient work um, with a lot of psychologists that can just make them go, I just can't keep up anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big load, isn't it? And it's Mm. important that it gets done and it gets done well because it's part of that care, but yeah. 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 And that's learning to manage that. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So it. So it sounds like a lot of your work is connecting, reconnecting people to the value of their their value of the work and what they, the meaning they attach to that.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. And adjusting their expectations about how they're able to balance that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so they don't get such a fright. Um. But I I think and I actually think that. Um, helping them with the executive functions around the admin. Totally. I probably end up spending more time doing that than what might may appear the more therapeutic work, which is helping them to re-engage with what's truly meaningful for them because I think for a lot of them, it's it's still there. they They just need clever reminders or or little value strategies that we can use to help them reconnect with that. It's still there. like there's a little shining light. Um, and if we could just like help them get through the 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 pebbles in their shoes, I think they will be able to reconnect with their work in a more meaningful way. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a powerful piece of imagery, Jamie. I yeah, appreciate mm. you thank you that. Ali, yeah, thank you, Muhammad Ali. Not you, Muhammad.
1: Thank you, Muhammad. Um, hand in hand, if you had much of a chance to have a look at that and Matthew, you, I didn't really give you a chance to talk so much that maybe Matthew, I'll ask you hand in hand, how does that work specifically? If you could share with us. Yes,
0: so they were one of the partners on Ten when it was initially launched. they sort of a, a separate group that really highlighted and worked on peer support. So connecting health professionals with other health professionals to talk about their experiences and what they're going through and just create those peer support networks. Um, and they've done some great work in this area, sort of linking people together together. Um, yeah, um, I think they're a they're a great group, and um, yeah, they're doing a lot of uh, great work in this area.
1: Yeah, and that's a free resource available to all health professionals too, and it's voluntary. The um, yes, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and Jody, your thoughts on hand in hand?
2: Is that something? Yeah, that well, I hadn't heard of, of it until you yeah. told me about it a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um I went and did their little webinar, oh, um, which was quite it was quite lovely. So my understanding was it was um, it was doctors, and I think the audience of what they had recorded was doctors. Um, But they were speaking very openly in in a similar way to us. And uh, the person, the the predominant speaker, he was a doctor who um, quite openly spoke about his experience with burnout um and i suspect it's worse in the medical profession than in our profession in terms of the the pressure to hide that and seem like you're okay you know we we we're, we're generally the kind of people who um you know we we acknowledge mental illness yes, <laughs> pops up very much so <laughs> so um whereas you know so it was it was interesting it, you know i sort of feel like we're a bit maybe ahead of the medical professionals with this sort of thing mm,
1: mm, interesting yeah yeah um yeah and i guess my another question jodie have you noticed any differences in burnout in health professionals um depending on whether they're engaging in a variety of tasks if um they're not doing all patient client-facing work. What kinds of, yeah, have there been these sh- uh, shifts for people based on those factors? Does that help?
2: I don't know. That's mm. not something I've ever discussed or mm. really um, it, it hasn't really come up for me. Mm, mm, um, okay. If I had to take a wild guess, yeah, I would say that variety would probably be a protective factor. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know.
1: Yeah. Matthew, are there any findings on that? Or any research on that?
0: Off the top of my head, I'm not too sure if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, No, I I just remember going into the profession, someone very important to me said, have a variety of tasks and not all patient or client-facing work. And that was really helpful advice to me because then I'm able to give to that and, yeah, um, do some other things too. That A little bit like you, Jodie, with the supervision, that gives you reach. To more people, perhaps. Um oh, uh, something I'd like to ask in Matthew, what's something that you would like all healthcare professionals to know? What's something important that you would like everyone listening and that will listen to this on-demand podcast when it becomes in to know? I,
0: I I think because I know this is a, a lot of psychologists in the audience, I really, I really just want to highlight the navigating burnout resource that um that we've we've developed. Um, not only if people have concerns about burnout and within themselves but also just to be incorporated into care. A lot of what Jody has mentioned um, is ticking all these boxes. It's been really nice to hear what she's been saying as it's been you know, tackling these unrealistic expectations is one of the subjects and you know, creating these barriers which is incredibly difficult and you know, emotionally draining but sort of taking some steps to address that and then finding this, this sense of purpose within healthcare which I think everyone is drawn to healthcare because they have this and it's so easy to you know, lose it particularly with all of the structural problems of staffing and turnover and all this kind of thing and the hours and the admin um yeah it's sort of ticking off all these boxes and at the moment we're looking for some funding to compare people just using self sorry using navigating burnout themselves with a clinician guided version so we think it could really be incorporated into clinical practice so if anybody knows any health professionals you can share it but also if you if you Treat any health professionals Um, as a psychologist. It can be, yeah. We hope it's going to be something that people can look to for some guidance on better supporting and and treating burnout.
1: Yeah, well, that would be a really helpful resource. I think that sounds wonderful. Yeah, thank you very very much. It's a great um, great suggestion, Jody. Your top tips for health professionals for preventing burnout and also for navigating and intervening with it when it has occurred. What what would they be?
2: Um, I'm glad I got the Matthew seal of approval. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to see I'm putting people on the right track. Um, I'm definitely gonna go over and check out your navigating burnout resource, mm. Matthew. So thank you very much. Um look to me it is about um really thinking about connecting with what's truly important to you in two areas. One, you know, professionally, you know what what part of this work is truly important to me but then also in my personal life you know think about a part of my identity that's unrelated to my profession and what really what really inspires me, What 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 is something I can really, really be passionate about because we need to sort of fill up that other bucket in order to be able to go back into the workplace. You know, it's a little bit like when you do a suicide risk assessment, right? Sometimes we can focus on, on the risk and we ask all the, all the safety questions and the risk questions, and sometimes you just need to spend 20 minutes going through the protective factors, And that's, you know, and that is just such important stuff. And if we spend all our time panicking on is he safe, is he safe, then we're missing out on, on, you know, obviously we have to do that. But but we have to really... um, you know, find that find that balance. Find that other thing that we can use that will truly move them in a direction where they feel like they've got the flexibility to to see more and notice more and and have more problem solving capacity in a in a broader sense.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's 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 tapping into our strengths as health professionals, being aware of those um, and our protective factors, and leaning into those perhaps too.
2: It is. But I mean, because we know like from a neurological point of view that when we're really stressed or threatened, you know, our vision is narrowed and we don't, we don't see possibility and we, we, we can't look for different sorts of solutions. So by engaging in these unrelated tasks, you know, my, my theory is that we can, you know, lower that baseline anxiety you know, and and have that ability to really consider things more broadly and, and engage in some functional problem solving.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. And I'm really interested, Jodie, it sounds like a lot of your work with supervisees also is navigating admin. Do you have any particular tips that you give that assist with burnout that are associated with navigating the admin aspects of our work?
2: Yeah, look, I mean, boundaries, 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 yes, uh, very great. important. Sounds like 10's got that covered. Great. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess the other thing is, um, so for example, I work with a lot of um, psychologists who work in organisations such as schools or hospitals, et cetera, et cetera, and they they get to, um, you know, book patients in whenever they want throughout the day. And, um, you know, the, so at first the, the theory used to be, well, you know, make sure you put, you know, put aside one chunk a day where you can do your admin and then, of course, that gets eaten up by an emergency. So one of the things I now talk about is blocking out that first hour in the morning so you can actually get it done. Right, great, great yeah, lovely strategy. Just one little tip.
1: Yeah, yeah, but they're, they're useful things, aren't they, because that, that often is the thing that piles up for people and it becomes the less attractive part of work too. Yeah, yes. really beautiful work
2: yeah and and because we're giving and and we see someone come to our door and it's like, oh okay, I suppose I can you know do period five. um but then you know, to be able to to not be able to do that time and give yourself the time and space to say, you know it, it can be in four days, you know, that just, yeah, so it's it's allocating admin time, not just booking back to back because a lot of people do that, yeah. Yeah, and and getting help with the admin if you need to. You know, some of it you have to do, but some of it you can sort of, you know, get a little bit of help with.
1: Great. Delegate. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. All right. Thank you both so much. I um, yeah really enjoyed hearing your thoughts tonight. So, and thank you for your time too. Um, so the e-mental health tools we've got available. Um, so Black Dog Institute and other providers have lots of evidence-based online tools that can be used to support you. Um, with both your mental health and that of your patients or clients. So My Compass, many of you may be familiar with, this is a free online course. I love it because it's non-linear. You can jump into any module on problem solving, on um, relaxation, whatever. It's for mild to moderate anxiety and depression. Um, It's available for all of us as healthcare workers, but also for our patients and clients, and it's evidence-based and free. The Australian National University has the Mood Gym, which is also a great tool for um, assisting with mood. And this Way Up, I didn't know about this until very recently. Has a free stress management online program. I love everything this Way Up do, so I think that's definitely worth us having a look at too. Um, The Essential Network for Health Professionals. Thank you, Matthew. My heartfelt thanks to you for creating this. Um, So this as Matthew's talked about tonight, has the self-guided mental health screening through the online clinic, lots of evidence-based tools and resources. And I love, I found it really heartening and reassuring that it's evidence-based. We have the peer support through Hand in Hand, um, lots of digital mental health programs links to this way up, um, and the connection. If scores for people are higher, um, people can connect to that one-on-one clinical care that's not Medicare-based through Blackrock Institute uh, psychologists and psychiatrists, which is brilliant. And then we've got the beautiful navigating um, burnout modules, which has been expanded um, and from yeah my appraisal is it looks excellent it's really helped me think more deeply about it and reflect on the effect that all of this has had so thank you matthew and your team um we invite you to connect with black dog institute you can look at our um, website for health professional training um, either online or in person and you can also follow us on facebook and linkedin as well If you have questions tonight that have not been answered, um, please feel free to contact us at education at Black Dog. And um, I just extend my very warm and heartfelt thanks to you both, Matthew and Jodie, for giving up your uh, time tonight, for your precious insights and for a great conversation. I've learned a lot and yeah, my deep thanks to you both. Thank you, everyone, and good night. Take good care and look after yourselves and attend. Attend and boundaries seem to be our messages, and 10 as well. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Good night.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, subscribe to and review Black Dog
2: Institute on iTunes or your preferred podcasting platform. If you're interested in knowing more about our educational programs and research, please visit our website
0: at blackdoginstitute.org.au.